Consider this, 100% of owners will leave their business one day, but few are prepared. Are you? Don't worry, you're in the right place with this podcast, Succession Stories. Host Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guides you from transition to transaction, from building value in your business to letting go. Lori is a business transition and M&A advisor, specializing in growth, acquisitions, and selling owner-led companies. She's also the author of the Business Transition Handbook. Get your copy and learn how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Sign up for a business transition newsletter at successionstories.com. Show us the love by subscribing to the show and posting a review. We appreciate you. Now, here's this week's Succession Stories with Lori Barkman. Welcome back to the Succession Stories podcast. If you're not already, please give me a follow on LinkedIn and Instagram at Lori Barkman. Be sure to subscribe. And if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, do me a favor and leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. You can help spread the word by sharing with people who will enjoy the show as well. Today's guest is Sean O'Malley, chief editor and writer for the We Study Markets newsletter at the Investors Podcast Network. We Study Markets is a financial newsletter that has quickly gained traction with 36,000 daily readers at the time of this recording. The essence of this episode is about organic growth, building a new business within an existing enterprise. I call that intrapreneurship. Sean is working at the intersection of unmet market potential and Gen Z creativity. We talked about the challenges of building a startup within an established company, power of trust, learning from failures, and how curiosity fosters continuous learning. Hear what's motivating a Gen Z leader early in his career, something many companies strive to better understand for talent development. Enjoy this Succession Stories episode to learn how a media company is winning at organic growth with Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley, welcome to Succession Stories. Hey, Lori, thanks for having me on. Why don't we start with you? Tell me about you and how you got into what you're doing. Yeah, well, you know, I'm pretty young. I graduated in the class of 2021. I was studying finance down at a small school in North Carolina called uh, Elon University. And I started on a very traditional, boring finance path. I was working for a big company that's not exactly on Wall Street, but sort of Wall Street adjacent. It doesn't really matter. And I was working with investment bankers and doing lots of, you know, very sexy, exciting stuff like that and managing data and building Excel models. And I was doing the CFA program, which is the chartered financial analyst. And I passed level one. It's like 300 hours of studying. So yeah, I was coming out of college very much hoping to climb the ladder and build out kind of name for myself in the finance and investing world. And as we'll talk about a bit more today, I found myself in an opportunity to jump ship and and do something a bit more entrepreneurial. And I really love it. And I think deep down, I'm probably a risk taker and and also really love to write. And so to some extent, what I do now is an intersection of all these things, finance and writing and, and taking some risks. Yeah, I love it. And that's why I wanted you to come on, because most of the folks listening, I don't know for sure, but dare I say are probably north of 50, or they're in their 40s, and you are in your 20s. And we've had one other guest on this show in his 20s, and he's the 10th generation of his family. 
So it's a little bit different situation than yours. What I what I find interesting about your story, as we're going to tell a little bit more about it, and the company that you're with, is that you've got a pretty interesting opportunity from a career standpoint. You're going to tell us, I'm sure, about how you've made this switch from Wall Street to kind of Wall Street adjacent and building the business that you're in now. So why don't we jump to that? How did that come together? Yeah. Yeah. So as I was preparing for this classic finance career and was doing all the things in school and mock interviews and prepping very much to <laughs> do what Wall Street does so well is make themselves rich and and <laughs> manage other people's money while doing it. And it was something that I, I found generally very stimulating, which is investing and understanding financial markets. And so, you know, while I was studying and uh, working my way through school, I started looking for podcasts that I would listen to on the side that would really kind of scratch the itch of, you know, not just learning about the boring kind of standard economics and business management stuff that you learn in school, but I was really captivated by stock investing and kind of the big picture of what was going on in financial markets. And so it was actually during the COVID lockdowns, I got sent home from school in March, 2020, and was locked down with my parents in our house and was looking for some opportunities to kind of escape and go for walks with my dog and also be productive and, and really use the pandemic as a learning opportunity because it suddenly became very clear to me that I had no idea how long this was going to go for and I should probably try to make the most of this time. And I remember pulling off my phone and looking at Spotify and just typing in investing podcasts. And I found my current employer that way. Uh, it just through sort of the algorithm and some luck there. The name of our company is The Investors Podcast Network. And I started listening to the shows and I fell in love with the guests that they brought on every week and the constant learning and really just their way of thinking about stock investing. So I listened to the show for two years and flash forward, I listened to it, like I said, through my junior and senior year of college and then coming out of college, I'm working this corporate finance job. I'm studying for the CFA. And all of a sudden, on one of the weekly episodes of the podcast, I hear that there's an opportunity to join the team. And so I jumped on it. I think I had literally just started my job maybe two weeks prior. So I get on and I, I talk to the Investors Podcast uh, CEO and co-founder and podcast host, Stig Broderson. And he looks at me and he goes, is there a reason why you're applying for this job after you just started your first job at a college? And it probably seemed like a red flag to him. And in hindsight, I think it was a green flag because it was an indicator of just how passionate I was uh, and so thankful for everything I had learned from this uh, podcast company that I was willing to jump ship and abandon almost my entire kind of career and life plan as I had imagined it up until that moment for this opportunity. It was funny enough, the opportunity was actually to be a YouTube host, which is not something I'm cut out for. I'm pretty introverted. I know nothing about editing and making videos or anything like that. But again, I was just so excited by the opportunity and honestly, probably very naive and a little, but it just, I, I knew that I wanted to get my foot in the door. And so it was also funny too. I did that first interview and I was so used to, you know, getting prepped to do interviews for kind of Wall Street style jobs, took myself very seriously, took the interview very seriously. That 22 minutes into the call, uh, Stig looks at me and he goes, you're like a robot. <laughs> I had such high hopes for meeting you. And I just feel like I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know you at all. And I'd like to think that's not who I am. I think that I was nervous to meet him and nervous to do the interview. But uh, basically, he gave me a second chance, which I'm really fortunate that I had that because otherwise, I'd probably just be climbing the ladder right now at my corporate job. And we had a heart to heart conversation. And 
we ended that first call and he said, you know, look, I want to keep in touch. I don't know if I'm going to hire you today to be the YouTube host at 22 right out of college, but I, I do want to keep in touch. And he did. He followed up two, two months later and he gave me an opportunity to sort of prove myself. I wrote a stock investing guide that got featured on the company's website. And I also was working on a stock investing blog that I was sort of writing personally. And he read that. And I think after seeing both of those samples, he mentioned that they're looking to build a newsletter business, which I'm sure we'll talk about more today. And that was ultimately what I was brought on to do. So yeah, within a short period, I was working a corporate job and studying for the CFA and trying to figure out what my route up Wall Street would be. And as I sort of think of it now, I'm what you might call a recovering finance bro. I've gone from just being thinking about how I could enrich myself and climb the ladder to now being in a position to to educate other people about finance and, and be more humble about what I know and, and what I don't know, which I do through the newsletter that we write. That's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that background. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about the Investor Podcast Network and the newsletter as a startup? Yeah, yeah. So the Investors Podcast Network is the world's largest stock investing company, which Sounds really impressive, and it is impressive, but it is also kind of a niche that we've that we've carved out and, and got our name in early. And as I mentioned, Stig and then his other uh, co-host, Preston, started the podcast together in 2014. It's called, the flagship show is called We Study Billionaires. And I think Stig would be the first one to tell you that it was sort of a matter of luck that not a lot of people were even doing podcasting back then. There definitely weren't many stock investing podcasts going on. And they found this sort of feedback loop where they got at the top of the charts and they just kept getting recommended by the algorithm. And that kept accelerating and, and building on itself. And eight or nine years later, we have 140 million downloads. And I say we as if I deserve any credit for that, which I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but during that time, they did some other stuff like uh, I think they first started doing book reviews. And so they would basically just ask for people's email addresses and they would email them a written version of the book review that they had done on the podcast that week. And so they had basically accrued, you know, a few thousand email addresses over the year, the years that they weren't really doing anything with. And as I mentioned, I was brought on to start this newsletter business. And so, you know, as it was sort of originally outlined to me was, hey, we have a lot of news, we have a lot of email subscribers. When you look at some of these other major newsletter publications like Axios and Morning Brew, and uh, which is really popular with my generation and with millennials, I think they have like 5 million daily readers, which is just huge. We saw that as a kind of a, a case study of, hey, this can work. And we have a large audience and we have a lot of credibility in the stock investing niche. We need to be tapping into the kind of daily newsletter business too. So I was brought on to first write the newsletter and come up with what should the branding be? What should the tone be? What should the style be? How long should it be? And obviously the goal is to do it daily and figure out, you know, what was the right content mix and depth for our existing audience. And then also being mindful of, we wanted to grow it into a multi-million dollar business. And so what would the content have to look like at a certain scale for us to attract and retain a much broader audience. So those are some of the big picture challenges that we're still working through. And now I've taken a lot more responsibilities of actually managing the business. And, you know, we have a $100,000 advertising budget that we plan to uh, execute on meta through Facebook ads and Instagram ads and other sort of cross promotional and growth opportunities. So I'm managing some of that stuff. Now we also have a team of three or four of us that work directly and indirectly on the newsletter in one way or another, doing sales for it, writing it, editing it, 
on a daily basis. And so, yeah, it, it's been quite a journey over the past year. And I am always excited every day I wake up to, to see what's next. Did you ever think that you would be a creative? You know, some part of me always thought I had this romantic idea of being a writer. I was always into philosophy and I love the idea of like being this recluse writer, but I also love the idea of working on Wall Street and being like a big finance bigwig, which is obviously quite a dichotomy. <laughs> and so to some extent, I feel like I've been able to combine both of those fantasies and I feel really fortunate about it where I get to it's a financial markets newsletter. And so I, you know, kind of quite literally get paid to study financial markets and share what I learned with other people, which is creative and involves writing and enforces me to be very thoughtful while also kind of making me feel at least like I'm plugged into the, the world of Wall Street. What's the level of empowerment that you feel in this role? Because it's a new role, right? There wasn't anyone in your shoes, no one to follow. You've got mentors, maybe you don't. How, how does that all work? Yeah, you know, I, I think really, if I look back, it's a recipe that doesn't work for everyone. And I'm not tooting my own horn, but it did prove very motivating for me in the sense that I was given a lot of trust really early on. As soon as I joined the team, it was sort of seen as there was this extensive filtering process to get the job. I did three interviews with Stig. I did, as I mentioned, multiple sample writings, proving that I kind of knew what I was talking about. But once I got in the door, it was like, hey, anything you want to do, whatever you think is best, let's do it that way. And I didn't have to explain my decisions all that much. So of course, I did to some extent, but there was just a lot of trust really early on to say, hey, let's fail fast. And it's okay to fail. You're really young. You're going to fail and make a lot of mistakes. But uh, there's this great quote from Ray Dalio where it's uh, pain plus reflection equals growth or progress, one of those two words. But it means the same thing. And the idea is, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. If you don't learn from them, it goes to waste. So that was sort of something I heard very early on when I joined the Investors Podcast, and I'll call it TIP. That's just the acronym we use for short. Early on at TIP, it was really just, it's okay to make mistakes. And you're going to send an email out to 30,000 people every day, and you've never emailed more than four people before <laughs> in your entire life. And that's okay. And we're going to do that together. And you're going to make mistakes. And Stig, the CEO, has been a great mentor to me. And then I had a couple other members of the team at TIP who were sort of helping along the way. But at the end of the day, yeah, there was just a lot of trust given to really anyone who joins TIP. Of Once you make it through the door and you've kind of proven that you're worthy of, of working there, uh, it goes from being really skeptical to being, hey, you're part of the team all hands on deck. Let's get stuff done. Let's check off the boxes. Uh, so yeah, it was really been a whirlwind experience where, um, you know, I had very narrow responsibilities at my, you know, let's call it my corporate job where I had a couple of things that I was supposed to check off every day and do them really well. And that's great. Uh, and, you know, kind of as is true with any startup and we're no different, we have less than 30 employees and uh, it's ultimately a very small company, even though we do have a fairly large audience. Um, you wear a lot of different hats and I've been given the opportunity to wear those hats. And the only requirement of me was just to be honest and transparent about what I've learned along the way while managing those responsibilities and being upfront about um, mistakes that I made along the way. So That's great. When there's something you don't know, how do you go about learning it? That is a great question. You know, one of the wonderful things that I think is a huge advantage for our company is that 
like I said, we're a stock investing podcast company at our sort of roots. And so over the years, every week, multiple times a week, we've had some of the world's best investors on and they're sharing wisdom and book recommendations and podcast recommendations. And so continuous learning is a value that we actually take really seriously and put into practice at TIP because we're on you know, at the end of the day, we're all a bunch of nerds who like listening to stock investing podcasts. And that tells you a lot about the type of people that we are. Um, so we're also the type of people that are always, you know, the first thing I did when I was in a position to um, to manage others on the team and kind of got promoted from a writer to a manager was I think I read two or three books on management. Um, so obviously you can't find all of life's answers just by reading books, but some combination of soaking up wisdom from some of the wonderful guests we've had on our podcast over the years um, and looking for books that were really insightful and then also just testing things in real time uh, has probably been the formula generally that we use at TIP of let's copy and the word we use is, is mimic um, others who have found success in whatever we're looking to do and either building a newsletter business or doing something different with podcasts or like I mentioned we originally I was originally interviewing to be a YouTube host and we were studying other YouTube hosts to see what they had done well and figuring out what we could mimic and clone and replicate what we could do better than them. Um, and then obviously testing that and learning for ourselves. Okay. Hey, this doesn't work. We should do this differently. This is too hard to do. So it, it's some blend of almost what I would call theory and um, practice. This episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, the business transition handbook, how to avoid succession pitfalls and create valuable exit options. Business owners will learn how to navigate the emotional and practical nature of the transition process to avoid exit regrets. It's crucial to start planning when time is on your side so you don't leave money or your happiness on the table. Reading this book, you'll have Lori Barkman, the business transition Sherpa, guiding you along the way. To download a free copy, Head to thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com. That's thebusinesstransitionhandbook.com today. What advice would you give to business owners when it comes to recruiting and retaining Gen Z talent? You know, I think Gen Z is, is eager to learn. Like we started out with the internet in our hands from an early age. And that doesn't make us smarter by any means. Maybe we're really, maybe we seem like wizards using iPhones or iPads or whatever it is. Um, but I think Gen Z is a curious generation in the sense that, yeah, like we've just, from an early age, we had all of the world's information available to us at our fingertips. Um, and so encouraging, at least, you know, speaking for myself, I don't know how much you can project that onto an entire generation, but uh, I really do think that encouraging Gen Z workers to embrace that curiosity and feel comfortable learning. Um, and like I said, with my own experience, just having a lot of trust. Uh, I do feel like a lot of my friends and colleagues and people I know who are around my same age, we're all really eager to jump into the workforce. And if I had worked that corporate job I was at before, I would have never been given the trust that I have today. And I actually, you know, told Stig, my boss once, and I said, you know, I would have been a mediocre worker at a company with 50,000 workers if you hadn't given me this opportunity. I was nothing special at my last job. 
Uh, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at my job now, or at least really passionate about it. Before, I, I literally, I you know, we had some performance statistics. I think I was like the second or third worst on a team of like a dozen people where I literally did just enough to get my annual bonus. And it, like, it's because, you know, they're, they're, you're operating in a system where it's, you're not encouraged to pursue your curiosity. You're not encouraged to fail fast and experiment and try things and take risks. And ultimately, you're just not given a lot of responsibility because you're plugged into this this huge um, sort of organization, which is just the reality of of working at a big company. But at least for me personally, I found it was extremely beneficial to be encouraged to test things and experiment and fail and learning that it was okay to fail. Uh, one thing that we did that I would probably call a, like a failure uh, through the newsletter is we wanted to host a stock investing competition and we we're going to give a thousand dollars to the winner and um, encourage people to participate in it and hope that it would be a means of engaging the audience and getting them to promote it with their friends and get a whole bunch more people to, to sign up for the newsletter by participating in this stock investing competition. Um, I don't think it drove any new subscribers like five or six, maybe a few more people even submitted applications to do the competition. And we still had to give somebody a thousand bucks. So it ended up being, you know, a thousand bucks isn't a lot, but also when I was like 23 and it was like my first initiative with the company, I was like, all right, I just wasted a thousand dollars for the company. You know, that's not a great feeling. I don't remember anyone pointing a finger at me, getting mad at me, even blaming me. The response was, it didn't work. What can we learn and what can we do differently? And, and sincerely, I get that's really what it was. And I, I actually really did learn that it's okay to fail, um, which I think that especially for people early in their careers, that's not a lesson people learn soon enough. Because I know, speaking from experience, I would still be working this way in this feeling of like, hey, it's not okay to fail. You can't make mistakes. You have to be perfect. Because honestly, that's what you're taught in school. Like if you're recruiting kids from really high-end competitive colleges, they've all been taught to score perfectly on exams and not make mistakes. And it really is kind of an eye-opening experience when somebody says, it's totally fine that you lost money for the company. That's not the problem. The only reason we'd be upset with you is if you did that and didn't learn anything from it. Where do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years? You know, I've really tied myself to this newsletter business that we're building um, at the Investors Podcast. And the newsletter is called We Study Markets. And uh, we're up to 36,000 readers now. And um, like I said, we have two, two other writers who I manage who work on it. Uh, we have a fully devoted salesperson who works with advertisers to uh, monetize it and bring in revenue for the newsletter. And um, we're sort of probably break even, but also we're spending a lot of money on ads to grow it. So the hope is that within the next three to five years, it will be a profitable multi-million dollar business unit. Um, and in that sense, I, I feel a lot of pride in being an entrepreneur as opposed to being an entrepreneur. Um, even though I love the fantasy of being an entrepreneur, which I think a lot of people love, realistically, I never would have been the person to quit my job and put a bunch of money on the line to do something as uncertain as starting any company. Um, and so with TIP, they gave me the opportunity to have a baseline salary, which covered my needs, and then capture a lot of the upside of being the entrepreneur who figures out how to build this newsletter business. You know, TIP, uh, like I said, has has a nice audience in the podcasting world, but it was hoping to diversify into a broader media company and get a little bit 
less of our revenue coming explicitly from the podcasting business and, and get new revenue streams coming in. Um, and that was why the newsletter business sort of opportunity was appealing to TIP. Uh, and I, yeah, I was given the opportunity to, um, to build that as an entrepreneur. And so, you know, it, sometimes I ask myself, you know, do I, am I incentivized enough to work on building the newsletter into a, um, hundreds of thousands, millions of followers, subscribers, uh, down the road. And I think I am. And that's because to some extent, I feel like I owe a debt to how much trust was given to me at such an early age um, and how much responsibility was given to me that I feel extremely loyal to TIP. And then, as I mentioned, I in this situation where I had a baseline salary that covers my basic cost of living and takes a lot of the risk out of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship while also incentivizing me to, hey, if you build this in a million dollar business, you can also be making well north of six figures or, or whatever it is based on kind of a percentage of revenue and, and ad sales as we have it structured. Um, so I guess the, that was a really long answer. The short answer is, uh, as long as the newsletter business keeps growing, I hope to be there growing it. I hope to make it into a million dollar, multi-million dollar business. I hope to have a team of people reporting to me and, and continue to grow that. And um, ultimately, I to some extent, I hope to pay back the generosity and investment that was made in me so early by Stig and by TIP um, by turning the newsletter into a successful business. I love it. I love it. Sean, if people want to subscribe to the newsletter, learn more about it, what's a good way for them to connect? Yeah, yeah, you can uh, you can connect with me on Twitter or um, I believe it's we study markets beehive.com is the URL. Well, I'm sure we'll have that in the description. But uh, yeah, it's the easiest way to just go through and you can see the full archive of all of our past newsletters. Like I said, we do uh, we do one every day. Uh, you can also go to the investorspodcast.com. Generally, you'll also find links to the newsletter there and you'll find all of our podcast content and, and many of the wonderful interviews that we've done. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have the links in the show notes, no doubt about it. Sean, thank you so much for coming on Succession Stories. And I love how you talked about being an entrepreneur and how the organization is building this startup. We're going to have you back on when you are, you know, 100,000 subscribers and say, hey, look back at that. It didn't take us as long as we thought. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? That would be a blast. I'll I'll, um, I'll be counting down the days till it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to Succession Stories. Be sure to subscribe in YouTube and, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in next time from Transition to Transaction. I hope that today's episode resonated with you. What actions will you take as a result? If you want to grow, sell, or transition your business, our strategic transition planning process provides clarity and objectivity on the big questions that may be weighing on your mind. Make an intention and take the next step. Set up a complimentary consultation with me to discuss your goals at thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com. That's thebusinesstransitionsherpa.com.